Welcome to Gaining Through Training. I'm your host, Terry Register. On today's program, you'll be hearing from my friend Steve Earle on the point of sale success. Take it away, Steve. Sales. Is it an art form, a way of life, or just another job? Whatever you believe defines a sale, you'll probably agree that the act of selling combines a variety of skills that changes depending on whether you're at the beginning of a sales presentation, rebutting a negative comment, or simply closing a sale. I'm Steve Earle, the creator of the Power Selling series, and this volume is Point of Sale Success. In the last volume of the Power Selling series, Power Prospecting, I spoke about the tools and systems you can use to better prospect for clients. In this series, I'll cover the elements that are so important in a point of sale. There's a quote I'd like to share with you that you may have already heard. You have to do what others won't to achieve what others don't. I love this quote because it's so true. Sales is a discipline. Successful selling requires the constant evaluation of your sales process and all of the elements that make up a good sale. Anyone can get a license to sell insurance, and it doesn't take much effort to make a few sales or plug into a lead system that generates preset appointments where the only selling involved is order taking. The difference, though, between a highly successful agent and an agent simply satisfied with meager success is the willingness of that agent to devote themselves to the discipline of constantly improving their salesmanship. In my opinion, this is what the quote is all about. You have to do what others won't. In this case, constantly studying your salesmanship and techniques in order to achieve what others don't. That is, that little extra level of success that eludes so many agents. A sale is a marriage of psychology and product. You can vastly increase the success rate of your appointments by applying the psychological selling tools that will empower you to always direct the course of a sale. After all, isn't that what selling really is all about? It's nothing more than directing a customer to buying your product or service over that of a competitor. The real question is, are you better skilled than your competition? I'm going to share with you the ideas, strategies, and techniques that I've learned tested, and used for increasing appointment success. I'll talk about the non-persuadable factors such as the environment and the common elements in which a presentation is made and the little secrets you need to know in order to better position yourself in those selling environments. I'll also cover the persuadable human factors that influence a sale and the techniques you can use to direct those influences. Even the most successful salespeople need coaching from time to time, so I'm going to spend some time helping you rediscover some of the techniques that will allow you to better read the physical and verbal cues of your customer and help you control the conversation to a sales close. I want you to think of this CD as an exercise video. No, I don't want you to physically break into a sweat, but I do want you to use it as a guide to help you hone your selling skills. I want you to listen to the CD and make mental notes of some of the strategies and techniques. There'll be sections that you'll undoubtedly listen to several times. Write down some of the techniques that catch your attention, and don't be afraid to try them out on your next appointment. If you practice and use the tools on this CD, you'll be guaranteed to improve your presentation skills, and you'll close more sales. As a bonus, I've included a track that I want you to listen to every time you miss a sale. This track was specifically created to help you get through and learn from your missed sales. I'm confident that by using this CD and listening to the bonus track after each missed sale, you will find yourself closing more deals. I want to share with you a basic philosophy I subscribe to. This philosophy is the key for you to open yourself up to learning and growing yourself as a salesperson. On any given sales presentation, you introduce yourself and you spend a little time getting to know the customer. You talk about your product and how it satisfies their need, and then you try and close by completing an application. Well, if it's really that cut and dry, then why aren't you able to close every appointment you go on? Why do some agents have a 90% closing ratio, 
while others have a 25% closing ratio. Could it be the market, the client, the lead quality, maybe even the weather? Sure, those could all be contributing factors, and at the risk of not offending our own personal egos, I know all of us, including some of the best agents with the highest closing ratios, have from time to time convinced themselves that it was some external factor that kept us from making the sale. Let me say something, and you probably won't like it, but I'm going to say it anyways, and I want you to start telling this to yourself every day. It's all you, baby. It really is all you. That's right. If you didn't make that sale, it's 100% your fault and no one else's. No external factor, not even the weather was to blame. You failed, and it's that simple. Now that we have that out of the way, let's pick up our egos and let's talk about why you have to tell yourself this every time you don't make a sale. You know, you can always control yourself, but you can't control outside factors. This is why you always want to internalize a missed sale or take blame for a low closing ratio. If you tell yourself that it's your fault, then you now have control over fixing it. I've seen far too many agents that always blame their lack of sales or a bad appointment on some other factor, and you know what? They never seem to improve their sales. On the other hand, some of the best agents I know are their own biggest critics. Every time they fail to close a sale, they're constantly looking at what they could have done differently. This philosophy enables them to have direct control over their future sales. If you start subscribing to this philosophy, I can guarantee that you'll empower yourself to close more sales. When you think of a point of sale, you're probably thinking of your most common selling situation. It may be a kitchen table, an office conference room, a factory floor, a worker's lunch room, or even a hotel meeting room. No matter where you're selling or what you're selling, there are always two types of influences that you must recognize. I like to call these two influences the non-persuadable factors and the human factors. The non-persuadable factors include the physical environment, the socioeconomic environment, the educational environment, and all the other non-persuadable influences where the point of sale will take place. Now before we move on, let's look at a key word I just used. I use the word non-persuadable. What this really means is that you have no control or influence over these factors. For example, if you're making a presentation in a busy company cafeteria during lunchtime, you're not going to be able to change the noise levels, the smells, or the potential distractions. If you're doing an outside seminar, you won't be able to control whether it rains or not, or if you live in a big city or up north, you're not going to be able to control the traffic. If you're making a presentation in someone's house, you'll not be able to change the distractions from children, pets, and so on. It's funny. I can remember countless times sitting at a kitchen table while a child was yanking at my pant leg or running around the house making noise. And as much as I wanted to, I couldn't tell the parents that their kids were obnoxious, loud, and just simply unruly. These were the non-persuadable factors that I had to deal with during that presentation. Now, there are ways to deal with, even plan for those non-persuadable factors. But first, I want to break the non-persuadable factors down into two main categories, location and common elements. The location of a sale is a huge part of a sales presentation. It encompasses the physical location such as a home, a place of business, or a third-party location like a doctor's office, an attorney's office, or any other third-party location that's neither controlled by you or your client. Each location then even has subdivisions. For example, in a house, is the presentation being made in the kitchen or on the living room couch? You know, it's amazing how these little choices can make a huge difference in your presentation. Remember, you can't alter the non-persuadable factor, but if you understand the influences that these factors will have, you can make the choices that will give you the best outcome. Let's look at this a little more carefully. Would you rather make a presentation in a kitchen or a living room? Now that choice may not always be as easy as you would think. If you walk into the home 
and you can hear the dishwasher running, and you can see that the kids are constantly going in and out of the kitchen for a snack, well, you're probably better off making your presentation in a less distracting room. Maybe the dining room, maybe the living room. On the other hand, if you're making a presentation to a husband and wife, and the living room only has one couch, then you'll be forced to make your presentation leaning forward, typically sitting on the edge of the couch. Now, if that scenario is uncomfortable for you, you may find it harder to make a presentation. On the plus side, I've actually always found that making a presentation from a couch can make the presentation feel less formal. The key is to always remember to assess your environment and pick a presentation spot that offers the least amount of potential distractions. Although you can't alter what happens because of non-persuadable influences, you can typically make the choices that will limit those negative influences. Before you make or go on an appointment, think ahead and try to determine what non-persuadable influences might be present. Ask yourself if the location, environment, or any other factor might have a negative influence on your presentation. If so, look to make changes that will put you in a better selling position. Don't forget, before any appointment, your goal should be to minimize any influences that could potentially lead to your losing control of the sale. One additional point to consider. Never be afraid to negotiate with the customer where you want to make your presentation. When you start each appointment, you're in control. Control the location and it'll help you control the rest of the presentation. Suppose you had an appointment with a teacher at a school or even a factory worker during lunch. If your plan was to make a presentation in the cafeteria where you've already identified the potential for negative influences such as other people, noise, even visual distractions, well, you would probably be better served to convince your customer to leave the cafeteria and to try to find a quiet room or an unused office. An alternative space may not always be available at the moment of the point of sale, so it's also important to think about those non-persuadable influences such as location before your appointment ever begins. If the only way to set your appointment was by using a less than perfect location, then try and think ahead of time of how you can best deal with that location. Maybe it's choosing a different time, or in the case of a cafeteria appointment, maybe it's choosing a table in a corner that offers a little more privacy. Just remember, you always want to be in control during a sales presentation. This starts before the presentation ever begins by identifying what the potential factors are before you start. An easy way to do this is to first think of all the distractions and the environmental effects that took place on your last similar appointment. Odds are, the same distractions and influences could be present on your next appointment. If you know, for example, that every time you're making a presentation at a small retail business, the business owner has to constantly excuse himself to tend to a customer, then alter that non-persuadable factor by changing your next appointment to either before or after the business opens. Even if the small business owner is reluctant, you can probably negotiate a better time for your presentation. A quick sidebar. I've actually found that it's much more successful to make a presentation to a small business owner after their business closes as opposed to before it opens. You don't have to worry about time and you're less likely to have pre-opening distractions. I've also had success in making the appointment at the business owner's home rather than his work. In any case, no matter what you do, always try to control the location and any influences that might be a factor in your sale. Now that we've talked about the location, let's spend a little time on the common elements side of those non-persuadable factors. The common elements are those non-persuadable influences that are always present in a sales presentation. These are those items that every agent should know before making any presentation. They include the number of decision makers that will be present during the presentation, the interest of the decision makers, the prerequisites needed for a close, the common roadblocks or objections, complexity of a product needed or the sales presentation, the average number of appointments needed to close a deal, the competitive landscape, and even those common traits particular to a market. Essentially, the common elements are all of the factors that we'll need to deal with during a sale. 
learn the common elements that may be present during your sell. This will help you adjust your sales presentation and be better prepared during the sell. Let's use an appointment at a third-party location, such as an attorney's office, as an example. Let's suppose you had a client who needed insurance for a buy-sell agreement. The attorney has already convinced the clients that the partnership of the business needs a buy-sell agreement to manage the purchase of the deceased owner's shares of the business in the event of a death. Now your client, with whom you've done personal business, has invited you to present your life insurance program to fund the buy-sell agreement. Your presentation is going to be in the attorney's office, in front of the attorney, and the two partners. There are two decision makers here, and possibly a third if the attorney is part of the decision-making process. The prerequisites needed for the sale might be a specific product or a financial rating of an insurance company. The complexity would seem to be small for this particular sale unless you find out that one of the partners is uninsurable. The interest of the decision-makers is equal since both owners want the buy-sell agreement to protect their surviving interest in the business. The interest of the decision-makers may not necessarily be equal if, in this case, one of the owners is unhealthy or much older than the other partner. It may be the younger, healthier partner that's been pushing for the buy-sell agreement. A reluctant second partner could certainly weigh in heavily on the decision-making process. This type of information would be very critical to have prior to your meeting. This particular cell scenario would seem to require multiple appointments, including the initial meeting, taking the application, and possibly the policy delivery. Finally, we think that there's not a competitive landscape because we're friends with one of the business owners. But don't be fooled. I've seen and been involved in too many sales where I thought it was a done deal and it turned out that another party got their foot in the door at the last minute. In this circumstance, it'd be wise to let all the partners know that you've shopped or you will shop the market and you've got access to all of the insurance companies that they may need. Are you starting to see what we're doing? You're probably seeing that the common elements of a sale are so important because it better enables you to anticipate what might happen and be prepared if it does happen. In this scenario, imagine if you're presenting and the attorney says he wants a AAA-rated insurance company. If you've only brought with you a AA-rated company, you may have just opened the door for doubt or possibly for the attorney to insert a quote from a friend of his who may also be an agent. Or let's suppose that you found out at the point of sale that one of the owners had a heart attack five years earlier. You won't look very knowledgeable if you can't tell them whether or not they can get the coverage. If you've pre-asked your client about the partner's health, then you would have already had a solution to that health problem. Remember, every sales presentation is filled with common elements, and asking yourself before the appointment ever begins what those common elements may be will better arm you during the appointment. You know, it's absolutely amazing how ill-prepared many agents are when they walk into an appointment. Whatever you do from this point forward, always, always, always prepare yourself before each and every appointment. Ask yourself what are the non-persuadable factors, including location, environment, and what are those common elements that may be part of that sale. Here's something I love to quote because it just seems to resonate so well in our business. Sun Tzu, the great Chinese general, said, Every battle is won before it is ever fought. Remember, the road to winning each of your sales presentations starts by preparing before each appointment. Now let's talk about the human factor. This is a factor that you can influence, even control to some extent, but it's never the same as the last time. It's the one factor that can never be fully planned for and almost always has the potential to test an agent's salesmanship. The human factor encompasses not only the customer, but all of the human influences around the customer, such as spouses, siblings, business partners, friends, and even strangers. I've had many situations where I thought the deal was done, and out of the blue came a human factor that influenced the sale in a negative direction. You know, I'm sure you can relate to the so-called friend of the family that's also in the insurance business. 
It's always a sticky situation because you just can't tell the customer that their friend or brother-in-law has an inferior product or just doesn't know what they're talking about. Just remember, every personality is different. And even more challenging, everyone's personality changes from day to day. It's important that you're always studying and reading the changing human factors during your sale. Let me make one point before I get started. Some of the tools I'm going to share with you may seem obvious, but as obvious as they are, I've found that most salespeople fail to recognize or use them at the appropriate times. I want you to exercise these tools, and what I mean by this is I want you to actually practice some of the tools on your next appointment and pay attention to the response of your clients. It's amazing how a comment, gesture, or body language can quickly alter the course of a conversation. If you don't pay attention, you may be missing clues as to why people are reacting a certain way when you do something. Physical cues are a vital part of communications. How you greet, speak to, even look at a customer can have a huge effect on your selling. Let me use a greeting as an example. Do you have a firm handshake or a soft handshake? Do you shake vigorously or slowly? What do you do with your other hand while you're shaking? Do you lean into a shake? Does this change whether it's a male or a female? Isn't it interesting how something as subtle as a handshake can say so much about a person? Here are some basic tips on handshakes. Always go neutral in position. Palm up is submissive. Palm down is authoritative. A quick note, you may be able to read someone else by how they extend their palm to you. Never overpower. If you usually have a firm handshake, be careful not to overpower the customer. Try and keep your firmness on their level. You don't want to walk into a situation where you intimidate your customer, especially if it's a male-to-female situation. Never be clammy. Now, this is actually one that tends to plague a lot of nervous agents. Always make sure your hand is dry. No one wants to shake someone's wet hand. The last thing you need is for the customer to form an opinion of you before you even get started. Always make eye contact. Don't look at the ground. This is a great time for you to build a personal connection. Never size your customer up. That means never take your eyes off of the customer during the handshake and look at their body. This can be very intimidating and can lead to a subconscious communication of opposition. This is especially true when it's a male-to-female handshake. You know, a small lean into a shake can do one of two things. It can immediately tell you if the person is warm and receptive or resistant to your appointment. If you lean into a shake and they lean away from you, then they're already on the defensive. You'll need to break down that barrier during your presentation. If you lean into the shake and they lean towards you or they stay neutral, then they're more likely to be receptive to your appointment. This is a very subconscious event and a great example of how much information you can get from something as simple as a handshake. Now that you've greeted the customer and you're in the door, you need to determine who the decision maker is. Here are the two ways you can do this. If you're presenting at a table, place your business card on the table and see who picks it up. Typically, the person who picks up your business card is the decision maker. Another way to determine the decision maker is to ask questions regarding a prior important financial decision and see who the decision maker was for that decision. Usually, you'll be able to learn who the lead decision maker is during those early conversations. Have you ever heard of a mental snapshot? Do you create mental snapshots when you're on an appointment? Well, mental snapshots are an easy tool that always seem to come in handy. This is the easiest tool to implement, and you'd be surprised at how powerful of a conversation redirection tool it is. Every time you're going into a sales presentation, make a mental recording or a snapshot of observations such as pictures on a desk, pictures on a wall, the big oak tree outside of the house, or anything else that personally identifies with or can be tied to the customer. These snapshots are important because if you're at a point in your presentation where that customer is quiet or uneasy about the sale, you can break away from the sale and start talking to the customer about that mental snapshot. For example, 
If you're in the middle of the sale and the customer is unsure or bothered with some element of the sale, say, hey, Bob, you know, I've been meaning to ask you about the picture you have holding that huge fish. It looks like you're quite the fisherman. Or, hey, Bob, I can tell you're an avid golfer. I saw the clubs in your garage on my way in. Where do you usually play? These personal snapshots allow you to redirect the attention of the customer away from the sale and onto a more pleasing topic. This is a great way to bring down a customer's potential anxiety and it lets you get in on a more personal level. I can't tell you how many times I've personally used this technique to also create dialogue with a difficult or quiet second party, such as a spouse. There are other physical cues that need to be paid close attention to during a presentation. These are those small gestures such as vocal size, two people looking at each other, even the subtleties such as a person leaning back in their chair. These are important gestures because they give you an indication of what the customer's thinking but may not be vocalizing. For example, if you're making a presentation to a husband and wife and you start talking about price, if the wife turns to the husband, it's probably an indication that the price is too high. If, on the other hand, the wife leans back in her chair as the husband leans forward in his chair at a point where you're talking about a specific benefit, then you know that this particular feature is probably more important to the husband and not so much for the wife. The same is true for price. If the customer leans forward in his chair, it's usually an indication that the price is okay. If they lean back at the point where you're talking about price, it's usually an indication that it's more expensive than they've anticipated. This would be a good time to ask a question about their pricing expectations. Remember, the human factor is full of clues that can lead you through a sale. It's important to always read these clues as they'll help you avoid going down a dead-end road. Words can elicit feelings of happiness, anger, joy, and sorrow. They can outrage, enlighten, even motivate. It is truly amazing what can be accomplished with the right words or combination of words. Your sales success is more dependent upon your words than anything else. What you say, how you say it, and when you say it will have more of a direct impact on your income than anything else in life. I truly believe that every salesperson has the potential for a 100% closing ratio, if they can truly master their words. After all, we've all seen and heard of people getting influenced to do some of the most amazing and sometimes the most horrific things because of someone else's words. Your words are the most powerful sales tool you have. Since words are so important and crucial for your success, it makes perfect sense for you to rediscover the tools that every salesperson should know and understand about their words. Much of what I'm about to say you probably already know, but I can bet it's been a long time since you've stopped to consider whether or not you're truly doing what you recognize as being obvious. Before I get started, I want to share with you an experience I had that taught me how important and valuable it is to pay close attention to the words you use. In fact, this is a perfect example of how the choice of just one word greatly influenced the outcome of the sale that I potentially had. Early on in my sales career, I had sold a term policy to a lieutenant colonel. About a year later, the lieutenant colonel called me and told me how he had just been promoted to a full colonel. I could hear how proud he was of his promotion by the excitement in his voice. He told me that he wanted to talk to me about permanent life insurance that would build up cash value. You know, without paying much attention to the context of what he was saying, I quickly replied with, That's great news about the promotion. I can definitely show you some good cash value products, but they're going to be more expensive than your current term policy. Why don't we set up a time and we can pick the right plan that you can afford? Did you pick out the wrong word I used? I picked it out literally seconds after I used it, and it became very evident to me by the response of my client. There was no question that I had offended him. It was almost as if I had dismissed his promotion completely. I could tell he was instantly taken back by my comment, and in fact, he carefully excused himself from the call. You know, I never did hear from him again, and he never did return any of my future calls. 
This was a great example of a client that I lost due to the wrong choice of words and my not paying more attention to what I was saying. In case you're still wondering, the wrong word I used was the word afford. The word afford is so powerful because it can easily offend the person you're asking. Rather than using the word afford, what I should have said was, that's great news about your promotion. I can definitely show you some good cash value products. Let's sit down and talk about the different options so we can make the best choice. This different choice of words would have made me an appointment, a sure sale, and I would have retained a good client. Always remember, the words you use are extremely important. Always be aware of your choice of words and try not to use words that can be misinterpreted. Here's a hint, something I started doing after that conversation had gone so wrong. From that point forward, I replaced the word afford with these two sentences. Rather than asking, can you afford this insurance or what can you afford, I started using, what would you like to pay or what price would make you happy? Those are small differences, but it's small differences like that that can make such a change in the success rate of your sales. I like to use what I call the funnel approach to selling. Think of how a funnel is shaped. It's very wide on one end, and it's very narrow on the other. Isn't that like a sales presentation? In the beginning of a sales presentation, there's a wide room for choice, and there's a wide room for things to change. Your goal as a salesperson is to funnel the conversation to a point where the customer makes a decision to buy your product. The reason the funnel is so important is you want to constantly direct the flow of the presentation so it stays on track and the rebuttals, the choices, and the directions get smaller and smaller until the point where the logical conclusion of your presentation is for the customer to purchase your product. Let's start by talking about the questions you can ask that'll help you lead that presentation down the funnel. There are four basic types of questions. Open-ended questions, closed-ended questions, yes-no questions, and leading questions. Open-ended questions such as, what would you like to do when you retire, give the person a wide range of possible answers. Closed questions such as, at what age would you like to retire, allows the asker to gather information while invoking thought to the person. Yes-no questions such as, do you want to retire at age 65, narrows down the choice and points the salesperson in a specific direction. Leading questions such as, Bob, you look like a person who would like to retire someday. Or, Bob, I can tell you would like to maximize the amount of money you have at retirement, right? These leading questions are extremely powerful because for the most part, the salesperson should already know the answer before the question's asked. These are questions that are simply there to help direct the conversation where you want it. This is a powerful tool for directing and redirecting conversation. Now, we all use these questions in our presentations, but few of us actually stop to think about when we use them and how effective their use was. This is the key to a 100% closing ratio. You need to be aware of the questions you're asking and gauge the success of the response. If you keep asking the same questions on each missed appointment, then you should probably change or alter the type of questions you're asking. For example, let's suppose you discover that you typically use the same questions during your presentation and it often leads you into a roadblock. You might be asking something like, Bob, if you died tomorrow, could your wife pay the bills? Now, this yes-no question may seem appropriate, but you might find that if your client answers a yes, then you'll become stumped to recreate the need for insurance. On the other hand, if you experimented with the question on your next appointment and tried, Bob, if you had died last week, wouldn't your wife have a harder time paying the bills? Now, this is a leading question because odds are the outcome is going to be a yes, and you've already predicted that. This question would probably give you a more favorable outcome because it'll continue to lead you down the funnel towards a close. If, on the other hand, you ask the yes-no version of, Bob, if you died tomorrow, could your wife pay the bills? The person might respond with a yes, 
thereby sidetracking your sales process. Just remember, you're in control of that presentation. Every question you ask and every comment you make should keep you in control. Be careful not to ask questions or make comments that can potentially take the control away. Typically, you want to use open-ended questions to create small talk or even help the person loosen up and warm to you. I've always favored open-ended questions that talk about children, hobbies, or any other non-financial, non-stressful activity. I try to always stay away from talking about their work and always try to keep the topics on the lighter side. By the way, this is also a great time to pull out one of your mental snapshots. Maybe it's the perfect time to ask about the fishing picture on the wall or the set of golf clubs you saw in the garage. Once you've started the presentation, start using a combination of yes-no questions and closed questions to direct your presentation. If you find yourself in a situation where the sale is at a roadblock or you just can't get past a specific point, use a leading question to help the client along. Leading questions are an especially great tool for helping the client make a decision. One thing to remember, the worst possible thing you can do in any given sale is present too many options. Through the use of your questions, you need to narrow down the choices to one distinct choice. For example, if you're talking about term insurance with return of premium or term insurance without, you should have already discovered via your questions whether or not the customer favors cash value or savings plans. Think back to the Sun Tzu quote, every battle is won before it is ever fought. Before you ask if they want a cash value type product, you should have already asked questions that would help you gather information about their preferences when it comes to cash value. Another quick sidebar, by the time you're presenting a product, you should already know if they're likely to purchase that product. You're the professional, and it's your job to gather enough information to predetermine what product they're most likely to favor. If you're not able to make a determination of the best product for them, and the person is stuck, then a leading question is a perfect way to help them make that decision. The question could be, Bob, after all the discussions we've had today, it really looks like you value getting a return on what you spend, right? This question obviously leads them to the term sale with the return of premium rider. Now the exact same thing could be done the opposite way. Bob, after all of the discussions we've had today, it really looks like you value getting the best low-cost deal and you can probably grow your money elsewhere, can't you? You must always be aware of the tools you have that can effectively direct those conversations. Remember, you're there because they have an insurance need. If they didn't already recognize the need, you probably wouldn't be in an appointment. You're the professional with the training and it's your job to help your customer get insurance. Don't ever forget, a large part of your job is to direct the client to the right product and help them make that choice. Don't ever feel like your job is to simply present a bunch of choices and hope that your customer picks the right one. This is truly where your value comes into play. Going once, going twice, sold to the man in the first row. What a feeling it is when a sale is closed. The close is that final affirmation that yes, everything you did work and the customer not only bought your product, but they also bought you. This is probably why selling for so many agents can bring such a euphoric high. How then can we make sure that if we've done everything possible during the presentation, that we do get the close? Let me start by saying one thing. One thing that above anything else needs to always be remembered. Don't ever, ever, ever ask for a close. I'm going to say it again. Don't ever, ever ask for a close. If you've ever asked a customer, do you wish to buy this, then we'll just forgive it as a bad habit that will never be repeated. Remember, the close is no time for a yes-no question. If you've truly done a good presentation, then there should be no reason for you to ask for a close. You should simply pull out your order form or application and start completing it. This is what is called the assumed close, 
and it is the clothes that every agent should use first. All other closing techniques are simply there for when the assumed close does not work. But what if the assumed close doesn't work? What if the customer has additional questions or wants to think about it? It can happen, and it does happen. This is where your skills as a salesperson are put to the test. Every agent should have a few closes in their repertoire. Let me share a few of my favorites. These are my favorite because they're so simple to learn, simple to use, and they work. By the way, don't be afraid to use multiple closes one after the other if one of them doesn't work. Remember, you're there to sell. If you can't close, then everything you've done that led up to this point was meaningless. You've probably spent way too much time to simply walk away hoping that the customer will call you back or that you can regain the lost momentum at a later date. Before I talk about a few closes, I want to share with you a strategy that's amazingly powerful. This strategy is what I like to call the pre-presentation close. Before you start your next presentation, try this. Summarize to your client what you're going to talk about and that at the end of the presentation, you're going to take an application. This strategy works well because it lets you know immediately before you even begin a presentation whether or not you'll be able to make a sale. Let me illustrate how this is usually done. Soon after greeting a customer, I want you to say, Well, Bob, I tell you, I think you're really going to enjoy what I've got to say today. First, we're going to go through your needs, and I'm going to show you the different products that will match those needs. Then we'll take an application, and I'll submit it to the company that we choose. Now, before I start, you seem like you're in pretty good health, right? Great. Let's get started then. Did you notice how I summarized what we were going to talk about, and at the same time, I pre-closed the deal? You'd be amazed at how effective this approach really is. If the customer was going to resist or had the intention of just shopping you, then it's at this point where he'll bring it up. This is great because you now know before the presentation has even started whether that customer is going to be resistant or not resistant to your sale. One of the easiest closes is the medical close. This close simply tells the client that they've misunderstood what you can do for them today and that you don't have the authority to sell them a policy yet. You're simply going to take an application and a medical will need to be done in order for you to actually deliver a policy. At this point, I always like throwing in a leading question that then further deflected the conversation. I always asked, Bob, since I can't guarantee you the coverage and you do have to take a medical, you do seem pretty healthy, right? I don't think there should be a problem for you to qualify, is there? These questions are great because they not only redirect the close, but they also put the customer in a position that by answering the question, he or she is essentially telling you that it is okay to continue with the application. Another easy-to-use close is the free insurance close. Now, I'm sure you've probably used this before, and for good reason. It not only works, but it illustrates to the customer the added value that you're bringing to them. When the assumed close doesn't work, especially when the rejection centers around cost, tell the customer that you do not need to accept any payment for the application because it's just an application. And if they do make payment, you can temporarily bind the coverage until the policy gets issued. Now, depending on the insurance company and their temporary insurance binder types, the initial premiums paid will be put towards the first premium issue date so the client has free coverage during the whole underwriting process. This will keep them covered while you continue to shop the market and make sure that no other less expensive products have come out. Have you ever heard of the guilt close? You may not have heard of it, but you may have already used it. The guilt close is nothing more than turning to the spouse and asking the spouse what he or she would do if their spouse died tonight. Let them know that this is not a happy topic, but it does happen all the time, and some of the worst regrets are explaining to the kids why they can't live in their home, pay their bills, or sustain their current lifestyle because dad postponed buying insurance. 
Let them know that there is an urgency to their choice and that the application is just the first step. Just another reminder, don't ever feel like you're pressuring a customer into the decision-making process. The reason guilty closes work is that the person recognizes that they have a need for insurance. If they didn't have the need, you wouldn't be there, and they certainly wouldn't feel guilty for not providing their loved ones the insurance. You're there to help that customer get the insurance they need and help them avoid the mistake of going without insurance and putting their family's financial future at risk. You have made your presentation, you've used all the closes, and you still find yourself at a dead end with the customer. What next? Well, now there's only one thing you can do. You need to use a rebuttal. Think of it like Custard's last stand. This is it or nothing. Here are two simple rebuttals which I've used. I won't come back. That's probably something most salespeople have never said, but you know, it's a powerful sentence. This is a final rebuttal that can be used when all of your closes have failed. All you do is tell the customer that their time is valuable and so is yours. You have many people to see and that it's difficult for you to keep up with all the appointments as is. You feel bad because you recognize that they need the coverage, that their spouse, their children, or any loved one would be in a horrible position if something happened to them, but you simply don't have the time to go back to each appointment multiple times just to get an application. Remind them that the application is not a commitment, but just the first step and that they can stop it or change it at any point in time. Let them also know that you don't understand the hesitation, especially since you're just there to help them take an application for insurance. Remind them, this is not a final commitment, this is just the first step in acquiring the insurance. During the underwriting process, they always have the ability and the option to stop or change what they're doing. Here's another last resort technique that's surprisingly effective. By the end of a sales presentation, especially a long one where the customer was unsure or hesitant, their anxiety levels were probably pretty high. It gets harder and harder to close a deal if the person is counting down the time for you to leave. It could have been a number of things that went wrong, but either way, you find yourself in that moment where a sale is probably not going to be made. Try this out. The next time you're in that position, on your way out of the house or business, just as you put your hand on the front door and begin to open it, turn around and tell the customer that you forgot to leave them a brochure or business card or some other item. By now, their anxiety level is probably lower because in their mind, the appointment has already come to an end. Make your way back inside, but not where you've previously presented. Pick a new spot. You don't want them to feel like you're restarting up the conversation that had just taken place. Then in a very casual way, ask them if they could tell you what it was about the presentation or the product that they didn't like. If they start to talk to you, then voila, you should now realize you're back in the game. This is your final opportunity to use the right questions and lead them into a close. A quick note, but a very important note. Do not make the mistake of going back and repeating your presentation. Remember, it obviously didn't work the first time, so don't repeat the mistakes you just made. Try a new approach and keep it quick. You've just created a limited window of opportunity, and the clock is ticking. Your environment, the market you're selling in, even the culture of the person you're selling to all influence the point of sale. You've learned how to better position yourself in a point of sale by looking at the non-persuadable factors that surround your sale and the human factors that influence how you sell. You've learned how to direct the conversation and how to use the communication tools you need to make a close. There's no question that becoming a great salesperson and increasing your closing ratio is not easy, but the rewards you gain are worth the effort. By recognizing that you have the power to control your point of sale success allows you to become more aware of what you can do to increase your closing ratio. Just remember, if you're at the point of sale, then it stands to reason that the customer has an interest in buying your product. Now you need to effectively convey to the customer that you and your product are the right choice for them. 
Now you can use the funneling approach and guide the customer to a close with the right questions and comments. This has been a great CD to make, and I hope you've rediscovered the tools to increase your closing ratio. On the next volume of the Power Selling series, I'm going to talk about the secrets to getting your business paid faster and the strategies you can use to maximize the commissions you make on every sale. Did you know that most agents throw away at least 20% of their commission on most cases? I'm going to show you how you can make more money and spend less time chasing bad business. You've prospected, you've sold, now it's time to get paid. Well, you've probably just missed a sale. You made your presentation, you did everything right, and still the customer wouldn't commit. You know, it happens to everyone. I don't know a single agent that has never lost a sale. In fact, if I ever do meet an agent that's never lost a sale, well, I'm probably talking to someone who's not done a lot of selling. The best way to learn how to succeed is to learn how not to fail. The only way you can do this is by going out and getting your hands dirty. You should actually be happy. In fact, I want to congratulate you. This is now one less appointment you've got to go on before you make your next big sale. Am I crazy for congratulating you? Not at all. You always have to remember that each appointment is a success, whether you sell it or not. No matter what, you always walk away with valuable knowledge that you can apply to your next appointment. Let's look at some of the things you should ask yourself now that the appointment is over. Before you went on this appointment, did you really think about the non-persuadable factors? If so, what lessons did you see in this appointment that you could avoid in the next one? Was this a presentation that mimicked a prior one? Think of the last successful appointment you had that was similar to this one. What made the last one successful? Were the customers friendlier? Did you feel rushed in this appointment? Or maybe you lost control in this appointment? Here's a really powerful question. What are the things you wished had gone differently? Make a list of those things. Maybe you could have changed some of those influences. Think of the ways you would have done things differently if you could redo this appointment. Maybe you could have used a different close or maybe the pre-presentation close would have helped you determine how difficult the sale was going to be. Either way, you're now in control of your next appointment because you've got this last appointment as a guide. You're a great salesperson, and part of your selling exercise is accepting that no agent is flawless. In fact, you're a much better salesperson now than you were before the last appointment. Don't get discouraged. You're in a great position because you provide true value to your customers. You're in a position where you can provide a family or a business the money they need if something unexpected happens. Not everyone wants to think about the potential loss of their life or the loss of a loved one's life. You are truly in a noble career and it sometimes takes added persistence to offer people the protection they need. Don't ever forget, a customer may not appreciate the good work you do today, but their loved ones will thank you when the policy you sold helps them through a tragedy. You really are in a great business and you provide a fantastic service. Always remember this and never get discouraged. Good luck and happy selling. Thank you for listening to Gaining Through Training. Tune in next time and God bless.